0: This is God's Word. He made known His ways ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne to heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my son. And now from 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. The word of the Lord.
1: Yeah, you talk about sabbatical. I didn't notice that um, I, was, I was gone three months. You said five, so it I just <laughs> brings up some issues there. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Um, yeah, I was told early on in learning about ministry that when the, minister, the main minister leaves or is going to have a Sunday off, that somehow, without even, if you don't even get the word out, attendance will drop. It doesn't even matter if people know it. It's like magical that attendance drops at the main. Well, I came back. You know, I was gone for three months, and everybody said, we had the best attendance ever in the summer. So I don't Humbling. You can figure out what that means. <laughs> will you pray with me as we approach this text? our gracious God, we look to a, a story, a story that has been transformative throughout the ages, a story that culminated in Jesus Christ. And when people who set their lives in Him spread this story and began to put it down into writing, uh, communities were changed, lives were changed, healings happened, cities Uh, cultures transformed with self-giving love because they met your embrace, the self-giving love you approach us with. And as we sit here this morning walking into a space that for some of us might be our first time and we were surrounded suddenly by decor of El Dia de los Muertos (laughs) and in just a kind of an eclectic space with eclectic stories and people in this room, We all sit here in need of that embrace of grace from you. So in this time now, meet us through these words. May it be clear that you have met us, that this is not a merely human meeting of good ideas, but this is a divine appointment with your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, there's a universal longing in the human heart for to know that somebody somewhere is happy with me, that you're happy with me, uh, and to have people in our life who are like that. I think, um, so I read, this, I read this poem that someone wrote, uh, Jane Kenyon, about her dog. She says, the, the dog searches until he finds me upstairs, lies down with a clatter of elbows, Puts his head on my foot. Sometimes the sound of his breathing saves my life. In and out. In and out. A pause. A long sigh. If you've ever had a dog, and I was so happy to see we have a little dog here this morning joining us. um, Because I wanted to introduce by talking about how Dogs have this unique thing of always, they are, if you've ever had a creature in your life, a good dog, your dog is always happy with you, right? Always happy to see you and, and you know, you're putting your shoes on and from across the room, your dog wakes up from a deep sleep and looks at you like, are we going to do something? Like, like, like your dog is always meeting you and looking at you in the eyes as if to say, can we hang out? Can we hang out? Can we hang out? Every day, it doesn't matter how little you hang out. Your dog will keep coming back and saying, can we hang out? It's like your dog is always happy with you. And in a world where we're bad at showing people how happy we are with each other, um, that's a comforting thing, right? And so what it ends up with in in the non-canine world of relationships, we look towards those relationships. We gravitate towards those people who consistently show us, I'm happy with you. I'm happy with you. In the ups and in the downs, I'm happy with you. And I I could bet that in your next, you know, difficult time you go through, next trial or problem that you face in life, who are you going to go to? Who are you going to take that to? You're probably going to take it to people who have consistently shown you, "I'm happy with you." Whether you're in good times or bad, I'm happy with you. And I think one thing that regularly blocks people from exploring Christianity, um, and even I would say from growing in their Christian faith, if you're a Christian is the idea that, I don't know if God's happy with me. Is God happy with me? If I approach God, is he going to, you know, there's this anxiety around, is he, is he going to be judgmental towards me? Um, or maybe you're just in a place in your spiritual life where maybe you've been a Christian, you're not exploring so much, but God is distant. And I would argue that at the root of that might even be this issue of, a disconnect from God being happy with you. So today's image, which jumped out at us from both an Old Testament and a New Testament passage, is the the image of God bringing us fatherly love, the love of a father. It's an image that's packed with potential and primed and ready to convince us about how happy God is with us. And that does some things. So we'll organize what we're saying here and how we're listening to this in terms of those three things. It's it's mind-blowing, it's humbling, and it's generating to know that God is Father and loves you like a Father. First of all, it's mind-blowing. And that's, I think, really, honestly, the best way to, in our language to talk about what these two passages are trying to do. When you read in Psalm 103, verse 11... For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. In the letter of, that we call 1 John, starts out very similar kind of language, the part we read, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Oh, the greatness. Oh, the size of the fatherly love of God. You know, if ever there's a relationship in our lives that sort of universally has those longings for someone to be happy with us, it's that relationship with a father. It's a relationship with dad. I've been in for the last 10 years experimenting by, I I joined this um, men's counseling group. So you've got six to seven, I think seven of us men of all different ages and um, stages of life and personalities and different stories and a a. A therapist in the room and just sort of like kind of see what happens as our journeys kind of ricochet off each other and we talk about life. And what do you know but one of the most resonating themes is dad. And whether, whether dad was there, whether dad wasn't there, what kind of messages did you get from dad. And how are you going to be like your dad but maybe different from your dad and how you are a dad. Big theme, big deal. And fathers notice things. If you're a father, you'll see your kids and you notice that they're looking. They're looking at you. They're looking at you to know, are you happy with me? You know, why is it such a big deal at a sporting event at a soccer game when the father is yelling at the kid? Why does that feel like kind of an, a, a big deal? Why does that feel like there's, there's some depth to that exchange? And you go, because you know that all that kid is doing is, is wanting to know, are you happy with me? Why is it a big deal to know that someone's father was never there for them? It's a big deal because we're looking, are you happy with me? And you're never even there. And from a dad's point of view, if you're looking at this issue from being a father, if those of you who are, then you know that there's sort of a unique kind of bubbling up natural thing that happens as you look at children. Uh, I have four children, and I can see this at work in myself, is that um, in their accomplishments, you have a a fantastic desire to celebrate their accomplishments and their achievements and the the wins of life. And in their their suffering and in their struggling, you have a deep concern that drives you to want to make it better. So you have both those things at work, you know? And even in between, even in, the, even in the lull, the slow times, you catch yourself looking across the room and being happy with your child as you see them just kind of being themselves. You have the celebrations of the accomplishments. You have the kind of the, the just neutral times. And you also have the suffering, difficult, down times where your heart goes out in that last one, the latter, the difficult times. The failure times, that's what Psalm 103's burden seems to be. It seems to be the way it's trying to blow our minds here as we think about God's love because you look at verse 13 and it's, as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And the verse before it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, uh, forgiving and compassionate fathers are not the universal experience in this world. It's not even the universal experience in this room. As um, I can speak as a father, as our own issues and lack of completeness and wholeness gets in the way of our own abilities to be good fathers. And yet you can catch glimpses. You can catch glimpses maybe in your own dad or father, or maybe in a father figure in your life, or maybe in someone else's father if you have to stretch outside a little bit. You can catch glimpses of what, Psalm 103 is talking about. I was driving not, uh, just a few weeks ago down Freeport, uh, and I saw a girl sitting on the grass next to the sidewalk as her car got towed away. There had been an accident. There was glass on the, on the road, and I just looked like a little fender bender, but there was damage to the car, and I literally saw this car being towed away and her sitting there on the grass, and she was crying. You know, one of those scenes where you just want to get out and just put your arm around, you know, it'll be okay. But I started thinking about, like, I, I did literally think, like, wouldn't that be cool if I just parked and just jumped out and just, like, gave her a hug and then got back in my car. <laughs> but there was too much traffic, and you know, I was probably late for something. But um, in my next life, I'm, I'm that guy who does that, okay, just, just so you know. Um, but I, I did begin to think, like, you know, what is, why is she crying? And I, and I pictured, like, I wonder, is she about to, is she knows she has to make that call maybe to dad, maybe to her father, or maybe she just did, or, or maybe she has to go home and tell dad what happened, and it's just too much. I remember when I was in high school, I was a junior or senior, and my dad uh, invited me, it was, it was mom and dad, and went up to Tahoe for, like, a work retreat um, kind of deal, and I got to go along, I got to bring a friend. Long story short, I, I get to drive around with my friend at night. It's dark and I've got dad's car and I back into like a bike rack in a dark parking lot and mess up the back and there's cracked things and bent things. And, and then getting in the car after seeing the damage and driving back to where my parents were felt like the, you know the drive of shame and dread, you know? It just just, that feeling, I can still remember feeling that sinking feeling of, oh, I'm in so much trouble, you know, he's going to be so mad, you know, this was like his new car, it was when Saturn just began, that company, that car company, and it was like a, a Saturn sedan, and it was the good family car, and I had messed it up, and so I walk in and I start to tell him, and his response is, oh, it's okay. I'll look at it in the morning. I'm sure I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I thought I was in so much trouble, I thought, is it because I have a friend with me? You don't want to like let me hear? I had no. It's not because I had a friend. With, I have forgotten that he's a father. How often do we do that in our relationship with God? I've forgotten you're a father. You meet me with grace. You are so eager to throw my failures and mistakes to the other side of the planet before you want them to get in the way of what we have. Oh, yeah. You're a father. I, even, I wasn't so convinced. I mean, I thought... I told my dad I was willing to pay for it and everything, and I kept waiting for him to bring the bill, you know, like this, well, this is in, this, you know, kind of update me, circle back around as a loving but firm dad, and, you know, so, well, this is the, kind of the consequence of doing this, is here's the, how much it's going to be, and, you know, and I had a job I could have, you know, and he never came, and he never brought me the bill to pay for the consequences of my mistake. He, co- he covered it. He paid it. Being a Christian or entering into, the, entering into the Christian faith, or continuing to grow as a Christian, is keeping the knowledge that God is your father and remembering that, keeping your life amidst that and remembering that that is true every day. And all the things that that can mean, we're only scratching the surface today. Um, so it's mind-blowing, and it's meant to be mind-blowing that God is our father. It's also humbling. It's humbling. Because, to put it shortly, briefly, if he's the father, then you're the child. I don't know if you caught um, in this passage where it feels a little bit like an aside. It's talking about God and how compassionate and great his love is. And it says, For he, in verse 14, for he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. It's still talking about God and what he knows about us, but then it sort of switches. It gets a little preachy. And it says, As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. And then it goes back to talking about God's love again. It's as if this little aside is there. It says, God remembers that you are dust. And Do you remember? Let me get a little preachy and talk about how you are dust and talk about how, you know, how fragile... Our existence is. Anytime in the Bible that um, it starts talking about us and we are like dust, um, you can't, if you know kind of the big grand scope of the story, you, you can't help but connect it right back to um, the early chapters of the Bible, Genesis 3. The same words, that wording comes up again and it's talking about us and the words are, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. And Ash Wednesday, one of the the epic things that happens to start the season of Lent leading up to Easter is that you can come to many churches in town and oftentimes we'll have an Ash Wednesday service and the words spoken over you will be, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. What's going on here? <laughs> That's really humbling. And that somehow is part of grappling with God as our Father. I think it's an invitation to know what God knows about us, to, to accurately assess our status and our need. We have great need for God as father, not God as helper, assistant, consultant. God as father. So Jesus says, when people ask, well, how, how can you be the greatest? And he says in Matthew chapter 18, he calls a little child and brings this child in the midst of the people who are asking, and he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a humble place Becoming like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, feeling distant from God the Father can often come down to just not being honest with your need as His child. It's a very, we're very prideful people. Something crucial might be needed in order to draw closer and understand and and enter into this love, instead of this fatherly love being conceptual. Maybe the secret for you is a new level of humility and acknowledging and approaching God, not as a consultant, not as a just friend, not as just advice giver or helper, but as Father, who knows how we are formed, who knows that we are test. In other words, you're not all that, You need help. We hate this. We hate doing this. But in order for a compassionate God to be in your life, somewhere in that relationship there needs to be, if there's compassion, in a sense, there needs to be a charity case in there somewhere. In order for there to be a God of mercy that you're in a relationship with, then someone in that relationship needs to be crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. Are you doing that? And then, and then, as you meet the Father's love, it is a generating kind of fatherly love. So it's mind blowing. It's humbling. It's also generating. And I want to focus in on a little thread in the John letter that we read from, where he says, "I mean, this sometimes reading John is like reading a, a poet from a, a very philosophical, artsy poet from the '60s." Because you know, he's going from one theme to the next and it's all very lovely and high level and interconnected and one of the so sometimes you're kind of pulling the threads out and going, let's just follow that thread and see how that goes. If you look at first John three verse three, he says, All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This connects with a thread that it comes up again a couple of times. Um I'll just read it from verse 6, a couple of verses later. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And then in verse 9, we didn't read these parts earlier, but it says again, those who are born of God, so God's children, those who are born of God will not continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, you know, it's just... Suddenly we're in this realm of a word that makes us uncomfortable, sin, and are you sinning, and are you not, and you shouldn't be, and there's all these messages around that. But let me just observe. The flow of that argument in John is that once you know, once you're connected and born from this God, in other words, once you enter into this relationship with God that he is your father, it follows that you'll live, that you'll sort of, that will generate a desire Um, to be living like a child of that father, of that daddy. You move from insecurity to assurance. And I know we know there's plenty of examples of the insecurity route in faith where you're always unsure, approaching God. Do you love me? Are you happy with me? Are you happy with me? Are you happy with me? That's... That's the insecure approach that says, maybe if I try harder, maybe if I do this, I'll finally know, oh, now you're happy with me. The only problem is you never get there. You never live with that assurance. And what John, and also I could explain how it's also in Psalm 103 too, but we will just won't dig too deep on all that, just to say, it seems to work a, the opposite way. Once you're met with this God who includes you in and says, you're one of my children... Once you're met with the love, out of assurance of him being happy with you, flows the desire to stay in relationship, to do the things that father uh, that brings pleasure to that father. Um, the whole story of the Bible is is a story you could say of God's determination to keep our relationships such that he is happy with us. And when Jesus comes, it's it's God taking human form, the New Testament writers tell us. It's God entering into humanity, and it's this huge corner that has now been turned where when God looks at us, at humanity in the world, he can look and he can see right there in his son, who is sort of divine meets human, he can look and say... Now nothing, there's no barrier between me and my humanity and me just being happy with you if I look at humanity and see my son. And so at Jesus' baptism, we see this, a prime example of this, when the voice from heaven, the Father's voice speaks to the Son, this is my Son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And friends, the Gospel of the New Testament the gospel that it kind of exploded this movement of self-sacrificing communities is that that voice is not just spoken now to Jesus but because of Jesus that voice is spoken to all of us through Jesus. That we all kind of stand un- under the umbrella of Jesus receiving from above that voice in whom I, I am well pleased in you my children I'm happy with you. Once again there's, there's you could draw a connection straight back to the garden, straight back to the first chapter of Genesis, even, even further. That's kind of what God is doing. He's saying, Now I can say it again, like I said at creation when He made us and He said, It is very good. That's pretty happy. Everything's good. He's making things. It's good. It's good. It's good. He sees us. He makes us. He says, It is very good. And now again with Jesus, He's returning to those kind of benedictions from above. I am happy. I am pleased now that Jesus has come. And um, that voice can flood your life. That voice can make its way into the cracks of your uh, brokenness, your hurt, your wounds, your lack of love, your struggles, your relationships, the things that need reconciliation, the stubbornness, the waywardness, the s- Stickiness of certain sins in your life, that voice can trickle its way into all of it. But you have to live in earshot of that voice. That's the point. Um, the, and the more you draw your life, the more you make an effort intentionally to put your life in earshot of that voice of pleasure of God to know that through Jesus now that voice has spoken over you, the, the work has been done, the more your life will orient towards the Father. There's a sense in which God calls runaways from all kinds of strange foreign lands. We've run off and made our home in horrible, poisonous, destructive places. And he, he's fine. He chases us down like that dog in that first poem, searching through the house. And God goes and finds us and searches everywhere and brings us home. His love is that great. He'll go to all those horrible places and he'll bring you back. And yet, he, he does expect when he brings you home and when you're living in earshot of his voice that you've put those poisonous, destructive ways and left them in the foreign country. This dramatic mercy and forgiveness doesn't just say, ah, let's even let's stop talking about this, this negative sin stuff. It says, no, but just live in earshot of my voice. And that will drive that stuff away in your life. That's the natural thing to do for anyone who's living in earshot of my voice, who's living under my roof, who has found, once again, that they are home. Let's pray. God, bring us home. I can picture, I don't know if there's 40 or 45 or 50 people in this room, I can picture 50 different ways that we need to be called home. And we need to experience fatherly love. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, show us that love and then create a community that abounds with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.